Welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I am, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxanus, Pennsylvania. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year as well. Uh, Coming to you already a week into the new year 2023. I hope that you had a good Christmas. I hope that you have had a good New Year as well. You're starting off this new year with a good start, a start that's in the Word, but also a start that is resolving to uh, get into the Word, but also to enjoy uh, what is around you. So uh, I am very thankful that you clicked play on this one. I have uh, a lot of fun things that I kind of want to get to. Uh, I've entitled this episode Christmas Odds and Ends. And basically uh, what I want to do is kind of run through uh, some, you know, different Christmas themed articles that I was reading and chewing on uh, a lot throughout the last several weeks, and I couldn't get around to writing about them or anything like that. I took a self-imposed sort of little reprieve there for a couple of weeks, and so I was saving up all of these all of these articles to talk about and just kind of share with you here. So that's what I want to do. I'm just going to run through some things and get into uh, just the meaning of Christmas, yes, and but also some of the implications that come from when we talk about uh, Christmas and church and faith, and there was a lot of great pieces that I want to talk about. So we're going to get to that, all that, uh, but first, before I get to there, let's go to the sponsor. Uh, Ministry Minded, of course, is sponsored by Fresh Roasted Coffee, so uh, we'll take that away, and we'll get that out of the way, and then we will uh, get into the rest of the show. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Yes, we did have Christmas uh, Day worship at our church. Uh, we had Christmas on a Sunday. Christmas fell on a Sunday this year, so it would put pastors kind of everywhere on sort of high alert, you know, to sort of wonder and ponder and weigh the fact of, are we going to have church on Christmas? Or And I, I think it's just an interesting debate because um, 
you know, I didn't really think it was much of a debate. And I'm going to, you know, put myself on this side of the argument, if you will. (laughs) It's not even an argument, but it is, it did make the rounds on social media. I know a lot of different pastors from a lot of different denominations were talking about uh, reasons why they were going to have church on Sunday or reasons why they weren't going to have church on, on Sunday when it fell on a Christmas. But I think it especially got even more attention in some corners, at least, is when an article by Ruth Graham, uh, published in the New York Times, entitled, Oh, Come All You Faithful Except When Christmas Falls on a Sunday, um, which I thought was just a great title, but also it was a fascinating article if you're able to read it. Definitely read it, because um, what Ruth does is she kind of profiles a couple of pastors who have actually made the choice to close their churches on Christmas Day, and these pastors were, you could say, more high-profile pastors, you know, they weren't, um, they they were names that you would recognize, so to speak, in in particular corners of of church life and Christian life, so to speak. But I'll just be honest with you, I didn't think twice about having church on Sunday, even though it was Christmas. I mean, we're worshiping Jesus the Savior. That's the whole reason why we have church at all. Um, that's we set aside this day to worship the fact that there is a Savior who has come down to save us from our sins. What better way to do that than on the day that culturally, uh, I'm not going to get into that either. I'm not going to get into, is Christmas a pagan holiday, all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. Um, you can read enough articles about that, and maybe one day I'll write something about that. But uh, all the debates around Christmas, to me, are kind of funny. Um but this one was especially interesting because you have sort of this cultural phenomenon known as Christmas, a.k.a. Santa Claus's Day, sort of taking over. And yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say it that way. Sort of taking over Sunday, um, which is if you're ranking the levels of importance, I think worshiping in church trumps Christmas holiday. Um Especially in terms of its cultural content and stuff like that. And I know there's really well-meaning people that close their doors on Sunday, and maybe they had good reasons for that. And regardless, you know, we had our doors open on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. Um, so uh, anyways, I'm not trying to harp on people that did. I'm just saying I didn't think twice about it. I thought there's clear enough reasons why. And, you know, we can debate about the word, but... Um, uh, I just think that there was clear enough reasons why to have church on Sunday. So I, I just found it interesting um, that there was so much discussion <laughs> about that in, in in a lot of online circles about what to do uh, with Christmas falling on a Sunday. So <laughs> uh, fortunately, we won't have to think about that conundrum until 2023 or 2033, I think it is. Um so we don't we have a while to think about it. So um, we should start prepping ourselves now, though. We should start prepping ourselves right now for what we're going to do. So that way, it's not as much of a debate. So I, I, I jest, but maybe a little, um, only maybe a little. Um, but I'm glad uh, that we're kind of out of the holiday season. We are getting into sort of more normal routines. Uh, done with 2022, um, which is kind of. An interesting thing to ponder and reflect upon, and I, I, I'm just going to say I'm glad that 2022 is over, and I'm glad that God has seen fit to usher us into a new year where we can 
uh, really relish in what the Lord is doing. And uh, I, I, and I'm not just trying to say this because it's the new year and there's lots of hype around resolutions and the newness and yada yada yada. I'm saying this because I'm I truly am ecstatic to see what God is is going to do in this new year. Um, in if you are familiar with um, our church, maybe you're a church member listening, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, there was a lot of ways in which God sort of turned uh, a new page uh, in 2022. He was doing a new work, or I should say he's prepping us for a new work. Um, and usually what that means is you have to till the ground. If you want to prep the ground for new planting, new growth, you have to do a lot of tilling first. You have to loosen up all that hard soil. You have to loosen up all of that hard ground and get it ready to be able to plant again. And I think in some ways that's what God was doing. Uh, I know that's what he was doing for me personally, and um, I'm thankful that I think that work is mostly done. <laughs> it's never uh, a, a thing that you're, you want to be confident in saying that God has done tilling the ground on you. But uh, I, I think what is, I, I'm excited, all of that to say, I'm ecstatic about 2023. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what God is going to do. He's always doing something. He's always up to something. And uh, I'm thankful that, you know, as it says in Philippians, that he will continue his good work on us until the day he comes back. So um, we're always a work in progress, and uh, I'm thankful that we can uh, be a part of that. Uh, that's the great thing about being in the church, by the way, um, is is you are a part of the work that God's doing that he's going to continue to do until he, you know, he knows when he's coming back, uh, and we don't, and therefore we can just gladly submit ourselves to him working us over, <laughs> essentially, and working on us until that day occurs. But uh, I didn't, uh, not to just keep rambling here, but I didn't want these articles to slip by. So uh, I have several Christmassy themed articles, as I said in the intro, um, that I wanted to reflect on a little bit more. I've been chewing on them quite a lot, and so I wanted you to be able to read them too, or if you wanted to, or just at least hear some snippets of them. Um, so in uh, let's just start. So um, this piece, if you were on Facebook, you probably saw this. This piece was making the rounds a lot. I, I read it. I was It was shared to me by someone else. I forget who shared it with me first, but uh, this piece comes from a writer named Claire Coffey, who writes for um, a publication called The Bulwark, and her piece is entitled, There is no Mary problem in It's a Wonderful Life. And it has made the rounds definitely, but what she does is she examines what Claire does is examines this supposed problem, if you will, in that really beloved Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I grew up on this film. I know this film backwards and forwards. I love It's a Wonderful Life. It's my favorite Jimmy Stewart movie. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Um, and maybe that's a controversial take. I don't know. But um, we can debate about that later. But um, there, <laughs> there is this supposed problem, especially if you look at the film through a modern lens, um, there's this notion that some have pointed out that Mary Hatch, so uh, Jimmy Stewart's George Bailey's uh, eventual wife in the movie, her name is Mary Hatch. Uh, if you, uh, Let me all back up. So if you remember the movie, George Bailey, he is this man who is 
captivated by this idea that he needs to get out of his small town and he dreams big he wants big things for his life all those sorts of things and over and over and over and over again his life is sort of stunted this dream that he has to get out and see the world is stunted by one event after another event after another event so he when he grows up he sort of is still in the same old town and he keeps being prevented from quote unquote having the life that he dreams of having um and so he's somewhat stuck in his mindset in his perspective uh he eventually marries this girl named mary um, and then, of course, more events happen, more crises happen, and and eventually he finds himself on a bridge on Christmas Eve wishing that he would die. Um, and eventually, you know the story, uh, his guardian angel, Clarence Arbody, comes and saves him by jumping into the water so that George can save him. And, and he shows George, Clarence does, what it would look like if George hadn't been around at all, uh, if he had wished, you know, George's, George's wish is that he had never been born. So Clarence is able to show him what what that would actually look like. And so through the course of those events, he shows, you know, different scenes and different aspects of what George's life would look like if George had never been alive. And one of those, quote unquote, problems is the idea that Mary Hatch would be this sort of old hag if it weren't for George's input. And I think this is you know, we could definitely say the the hook in the craw, so to speak, for a lot of modern viewers. Um, you know, this idea that Mary can't think for herself, or you know, be you know the woman that she is without a man's influence or whatever. So you can take that for what it's worth. But um, I, I like how Claire examines this in, in this piece. Examines the film because she kind of explains that the Mary problem isn't a problem at all. There really is no Mary problem in the film. It's a wonderful life. And she makes a really compelling argument. So she writes this, quote, Mary could marry any man in town. She just doesn't want to. She wants George. She takes the measure of George, seeing something in him that he can't see and which is perhaps only partially visible to us. What Mary sees in him does not reflect any of the abortive visions George has for himself. It is Mary who sees the potential of the old house from the first. Mary who acquires it and patiently restores it over the years. It is Mary who sees the oncoming bank run as well as its solution. Mary who offers up their honeymoon money without wasting time, either asking for permission or indulging in regrets. George's life is shaped by a recurring characteristic act, the heroic acquiescence to duty when circumstances require it. But Mary sees the greater vision from the start. She is determined that George will lasso the moon, even if she's the only one who can see it. For all the extraordinary, irreplaceable good George has done for others, what makes his life finally wonderful, awe-inspiring, mysterious, is what has been done for him. End quote. I just love the way that Claire sees this in this film. That is actually sort of, Mary is sort of this behind-the-scenes character making a lot of decisions that we see happening in front of us. And our focus is on George because he's this dynamic character, and obviously there's a lot going on uh, with him and, and, and in him and, and all those sorts of things. But it's actually this character of Mary who's silently doing things for the sake of the one that she loves and that's what bring george's that's what bring george george back at the end 
you know, among a lot of other things, is that it's this sudden realization of that he wasn't there. If he wasn't born, then he wouldn't have been chosen by Mary. You know, we think about it the opposite way. You think, you know, you think about this, about it, at least on face value. I've thought about it for years. You know, if he sees this vision of what happens to Mary, but really it's almost what happens to him. He wouldn't even been able to experience the the choice of Mary loving him. Mary, this woman who sees him for who he is and loves him anyway. And for George, not being loved like that is a faith is a fate worse than death. And I think that's the ultimate beauty of the film is that it portrays this we could we could call it what it is, this one way love that George receives. Because at the end what happens, it's the town that has been bandied around this family and really bandied around George. And it started because Mary started making phone calls. It is one-way love through it all, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful way to picture It's a Wonderful Life. Definitely read that article. And if you haven't, you definitely should watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's an awesome movie. Definitely watch it. Um, Greatly enjoyed that piece by Claire Coffey. Can't recommend it enough. Go read it. Um, I also really enjoyed switching gears to another piece, um, Samuel James's piece on his Substack entitled "Link by Link, Yard by Yard." He, uh, which is you know of course a reference and allusion to a quote from Dickens's famous "A Christmas Carol," uh, and in it, Sam talks about that scene where Jacob Marley comes into the room, you know, and, and informs Ebenezer Scrooge of how that, you know, he calls it this ponderous chain of sin and shame and faults was forged, was forged for Jacob. And, you know, he has that ominous line, yours is yards longer by now, um, and all that sorts of thing. But Sam uses this opportunity um, to sort of talk about what he calls the ordinariness of our sin. Uh, and I like, I like what he says. He writes this, quote, The incremental nature of sin is also a big reason why the imputed righteousness of Jesus is such a crucial aspect of the gospel. Marley tells Scrooge that the latter's own invisible fetter is a ponderous chain. Biblically, this is true of all of us. It's precisely the ordinariness of sin that makes us absolutely hopeless without an atonement specific enough to wash away every stain and cut through every bar of iron. I know a lot of people are weary of gospel-centered jargon. I get it. It's outstayed its welcome in the publishing world. It became a shorthand for a specific group rather than a concrete truth. But here's the thing. We really don't have a shot apart from the gospel. Every day, whether it's in the privacy of our houses or in the public square, we add a little bit more to what would be a ponderous chain. In A Christmas Carol, it is a dead sinner who has to procure salvation for Scrooge, Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, the desire of nations, heaven-born prince of peace, the son of righteousness. He's a living Savior who procures salvation for us. I am fascinated, fascinated by that 
amazing sort of point that he's making in this idea that we all are, in a way, regretfully, like Scrooge, adding to our ponderous chain of sin yard by yard. But as he states there, there is an atoning sacrifice great enough to even cut through those iron links of sin that we've accumulated. And his name is Jesus, and the Christmas story tells us that he came to start this work of ridding us of sin by coming as a baby. Um, What a wonderful, beautiful reflection. Um, Sam's articles are always awesome. If you haven't yet, you should subscribe to his newsletter. Um, His newsletter is really good, um, really, really informative, and this piece was really good too. Really good way to think about sin, but also to think about uh, the meaning and the hope of Christmas, so definitely recommend that to you. Um, Another piece that I found super helpful, John T. Pless was writing over on 1517 in an article entitled Christmas from Below. Um, And he writes this in sort of the conclusion of his article. He writes this, quote, The preaching of Christmas brings us not to God in his majestic and terrifying hiddenness forever out of reach, but to God hidden in flesh and blood. To reveal himself as our Savior, God condescends to be Emmanuel among among and for sinners. Luther observes that if God were out to destroy us, he would have not taken on flesh. Quoting Luther, Pless continues, He has the power to cast us into hell, yet he took soul and body like ours. If he were against us, he would not have clothed himself in our flesh. Plus continues, in the weakness of Mary's baby and in the poverty of a cattle shed, the glory of the glory is revealed in the flesh of our flesh to see, to touch, to hear. Christmas is more than an object lesson or an iconic illustration of God's goodwill. It is God coming in the flesh to die for those who despised him. The crib and the cross are of the same wood as Helmut Thielik quipped. The Lord takes on flesh and blood to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by making himself the once and for all sacrifice for sin. He was born to die, and through his death we are reconciled to our Creator. Plus continues, the heavens were opened above the prairies of Bethlehem, not to give the shepherds a glimpse into the celestial sphere, but to announce to them the birth of him who was given to them and for us. God grant us preachers who mimic the angel in proclaiming the Savior as the Father's gift for you. I love what Plus is getting at here, is that there's this wonderful example of that if God was, as he's you know referencing Luther there, if, if he were out to destroy us, he would not have come as flesh and blood. But he came as flesh and blood, as Hebrews 2 reminds us, so that he might die for his brothers, and in so doing, put death to death in his own death, and thereby deliver his brothers his, his, and his sisters from the penalty of eternal death itself. And this sort of reminds me of this idea, especially as Pless ends his article with this sort of charge to preachers, but a charge to all of us who who claim to, you know, we post on our Facebook feeds, remember the reason for the season and all those sorts of things. It's a reminder to us to keep our preaching at Christmas simple. We don't have to complicate it. We don't have to make it fancier or or cute or any sorts of, or, or we don't have to add anything to 
to the preaching of the gospel, to the preaching of the incarnation, because there's no greater fact, there's no greater thing that we can marvel at than just proclaiming over and over again the the incarnation of Christ, the fact that God came and took on flesh for you and I. And I, I, I pray that we can just be satisfied to marvel at it. We don't have to try and be cute with the way we explain it. We can keep Christmas simple. We can keep Christmas centered on Christ. That's the point after all. Wouldn't you agree? And I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that we have this wonderful gospel that's true all year round, yes, but it is especially something that we can take to heart in these moments such as the Christmas season. And I it sort of brings me to the next article. This next article comes from Stephen Freeman. He is an Orthodox priest who I love reading from time to time. And as I've said before, there's moments where, you know, I don't agree with him and his views of Orthodoxy, but there's other times where he writes with such a profound knack and insight for truth that I can't help but be moved by it. And such is a good example in this blog that he wrote entitled, The Child Who Came Among Us. And these words, I would say, are amazingly powerful. He writes this, quote, Standing before the child in that manger, our questions should turn towards what his coming means for all things. Orthodoxy sees in the manger an image of the tomb. Christ in swaddling clothes is an icon of Christ in the burial shroud. Christ in the burial shroud is the image of the whole of suffering, all suffering, everywhere, for all time. It is for us, not only to help and comfort those who suffer, but to hold them in true veneration, for they bear in themselves the suffering of Christ. The child in the manger is also the self-emptying, self-sacrificial love of God, the love that does not hold the world at arm's length, but enfolds it within his very being. That's the point of Christmas, isn't it? (laughs) It's God coming to where we are, coming so close that you could touch him. See, that's the amazing part about, if you, if you think about Christmas, especially in light of, of John chapter 1, 1 John 1, this idea of the word of God, the word who was God, the word who was with God from the beginning, he became flesh so that we can see and hear and touch and sit with in close proximity to the one who is working out our redemption, who is reconciling all of sinners to himself. That's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. <laughs> you see, within that little manger, that little that little cattle stall, as all of the, the great Christmas traditions say, That little cradle cradled the world's savior, the world's redeemer. And even as he was breathing his first little breaths as a little newborn baby, there was a divine reminder right then and there that his mission as the life sent to us was to die. That's the the meaning, uh, one of the great meanings and glories that we celebrate Is that this one that came to live also came to die. And in doing so, he put death to death. My friends, Christmas is a holiday to remember the whole of the gospel. Not just the fact that, you know, Jesus came and was born. Yes, we should marvel at that. 
but marvel at the whole thing. He came and was born. Yes, born in exactly the same way that any child is born in this life. Yet without sin. He came out of his mother's womb, lived a life in order that you might have his perfect life added to your account. I'm not going to I'm not going to turn this podcast into a preaching session, but that's sort of the amazing part about the gospel. You can't help but preach the gospel uh, or or talk about the gospel and preach it. It's sort of a sermon in and of itself. And that's sort of the point, isn't it? Christmas is sort of the best sermon ever. It tells us about a God who would do who would go to the greatest of lengths in order to save you and I from our sins. And that's what he's done. He's established salvation for all in the free gift of his life, death, and resurrection. And Christmas starts it. Christmas is, as has, as has been said before, is sort of the beachhead of God's mission of salvation in this world. It's where it all begins. It begins in a little cattle stall in a podunk little place in Bethlehem. And right then and there, the world's salvation was started. It started before the foundation of the world, yes, I understand that, theologically speaking, but right then and there, it started. And at Christmas, we get to celebrate that, that that one-way love that comes down for the likes of you and me. I hope you had a good Christmas. I hope you've enjoyed some of these reflection some of these reflections on some of these articles. I hope they impact you. I hope they stir new thoughts in you. I hope they build you up in the Lord. Um, thank you so much for listening. It's been good to be back recording. I have a lot of great episodes planned in the coming weeks, so I hope to get those out. I'm hoping to stick to somewhat of a uh, every other week sort of schedule, so we'll see how that goes. Don't hold me to it, but it's good to hear from you. So send me your comments, send me your emails, let me know if there's something that you want me to talk about, and I would gladly do that. Uh, thanks for subscribing to Ministry Minded. Thanks for your support, for your listens, for your prayers, and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Blessings to you.